Don't you know that a little bit of leaven in your heart will begin to spread and begin to affect you, just as the leaven begins to spread in a loaf of bread and causes that bread to rise. And so he says, purge out the leaven is what you need to do. You need to deal with this right now. So as long as I'm living in this body, I'm going to be subject to certain temptations, the desires of my flesh, the drives of my flesh. It is common to all men is what the apostle is saying to us, inspired by the Spirit of God. Welcome to Under the Fig Tree. Under the Fig Tree is a verse-by-verse study taught by Pastor Jeff Figs of Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We are currently studying through the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians. Here's Pastor Jeff. Now, just kind of to remind you, if you've been with us on Sunday mornings, particularly in the last couple Sundays, Paul the Apostle, as he's writing to here the Christians at Corinth, He's been dealing with this whole issue concerning Christian liberty, that is our freedom that we have in Christ. And so Paul was specifically, as we saw back in chapter 8, was answering a question that they had concerning meat that had been offered to idols. And that issue was creating controversy within the church. It was creating hard feelings and even division within the church because the situation that was taking place was Many of the Christians there at Corinth, and these are fairly young Christians here, they were coming out of that whole area of idol worship and paganism and immorality. And so some of the Christians that, yes, they were free in Christ, and they were going to the pagan temples to buy meat because they could buy it cheaper, and it was good meat. And so as they got that meat at a bargain price, uh, that meat that had been offered on a pagan altar, they were eating that meat. And they were saying, this is good meat. And, And we're getting it at a cheap price. But the problem was this, that those who had come out of paganism and those who had come out of idolatry and all the practices that were involved in those things, when they saw that another brother and sister was eating that meat that had been offered to that pagan idol, it was offending them. It was stumbling some of the believers who thought that was wrong. How could you do that? How could you go to that pagan temple, buy that meat, and eat there at the temple, or eat that meat yourself, or offer it to other brothers and sisters? How dare you eat that meat? And so in chapters 8 through 10, Paul is dealing with this issue. Now, we come in here this morning... And perhaps we think, well, we don't deal with that issue, so what does that have to do with us this morning? Well, the apostle is using this issue as a launching pad for a greater discussion. And that is this whole issue, as I mentioned to you, uh, concerning Christian liberty. And we saw back in chapter 6 that Paul made that declaration that in all things, or that is, all things are lawful for me. And we're going to see that he's going to repeat that here in chapter 10 as we finish the chapter. And we are very free in Christ, aren't we? And I hope we understand what that really means. We have freedom in Christ. We have liberty in Christ. And the wonderful thing about being a Christian for you and for me is this, is that Jesus Christ has freed us from sin. He has freed us from the penalty of sin. He has freed us from um, the lost hope because of our sin. 
we have a living hope right now that he's given to us. And he has also freed us from the world. That is the bondage of the world, the bondage of sin in our lives, the power of sin in our lives. We have much to be thankful for this morning because truly we do have freedom in Christ, the freedom that he has brought to us. And so that's why we need to always keep in mind that our Christianity is based on what he did for us on Calvary's cross, that he rose from the grave, that, that he's alive, and because he is alive and he rose from the grave, we have the hope, those of us who come in faith to Jesus Christ, of the living hope of the resurrection, and we have the hope of heaven. We know that we're forgiven. We have right relationship with the Father. So we truly have freedom in Christ. But what does that mean? So Paul has been giving us some principles and some truths concerning our freedom in Christ. And Paul has gone on to say that even though we have been set free, we should use our freedom wisely. Because if we are not careful in the exercising of our liberty, we can find ourselves, first of all, stumbling and offending other brothers and sisters in the Lord. And as we talked about last week, we can end up stumbling ourselves, being tripped up, end up being weighed down, end up falling and missing out on the blessings that God has for us because he has declared to you and to me that we have a race that has been set before us. And we are to run that race with the idea to win the prize. We are to run that race in a way that I'm temperate in all things. I don't want to be disqualified. I don't want, that is, to be stumbled and weighed down and miss out on the blessings that God has for my life. I don't want to see that happen for you, what God has for your life as well. And so, as we saw last week, as we moved into chapter 10, that he uses, that is, Paul, the nation of Israel as an example historically. They were set free, weren't they? They were set free from Egypt, being in bondage for 400 years. And they came out of Egypt, and as they would leave because of what God has, had done for them in, in setting them free from his mighty works there, and on their way to the land of promise that he desired for them to go into. But out there in the wilderness, they fell into lust. They fell into immorality. They committed idolatry. And they were complaining and they were murmuring, as we saw. And consequently, as Paul points out in the first part of this chapter, they then were not allowed to enter into the promised land. That their bodies were scattered throughout the wilderness, as we saw last week. And again, the wilderness became the, the greatest and largest graveyard in the history of mankind. As that generation would die out there in the wilderness for those 40 years. You see, with me and with you, we have been set free from Egypt. When you look at the Old Testament, Egypt is a picture of the world. And we've been set free from the world. We've been set free from the bondage of this world. We've been forgiven. And now the Lord wants us to enter into the land of promise. That is that abundant life found in Christ. But if we are not careful, if we do not take heed, we can fall into the same traps and the same sins that God's people did 3,500 years ago out there in the wilderness. And those things will keep you and I from entering into the fullness that God intends for us. And so as we saw in verse 11, he writes that these are examples to us. In other words, this is an example, what has been written in the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and the book of Deuteronomy, their wilderness wandering before they would go into the promised land that we saw in the book of Joshua. 
that that is not only a historical account given to us, but they are examples to us in how we can be kept from going into that fullness and richness that God has for us, the promised land, and end up with a spiritual life of dryness and barrenness, just as they experienced out there in the wilderness. So these are examples that we can learn from them and not fall into the same kinds of sins and temptations and, and problems that they did. So it's written for our admonition. And then verse 12 where we left off, Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Paul is saying take heed. In other words, pay attention. As he made reference to the example of Israel. Their sinful craving for evil, their sinful substitution of God in making that golden calf, that idol, and in their immorality and idolatry and complaining that Paul makes reference to in verses 6 through 10 of chapter 10 here, in light of these things, what he is saying is that you need to be careful. You see, the Corinthians at this time, as, as we have discussed, they were very content in their liberty. Paul says, take a good hard look because if you think that you're so strong, so together, so spiritual, then you are setting yourself up for a fall. And it is usually the self-sufficient, the self-confident, the self-reliant, righteous person that is a candidate for a stumble, a candidate for a tumble, a fall. Why? It's because they're relying on self. And any time that we get to the point of our lives where we are relying on ourselves, and in any area of our lives, that, that's not a good place for us to be. So he's saying, Christians, understand this, that if you do not resist the temptation to be selfish and self-focused, then you're going to be vulnerable. And if you think you stand, then you will not be on guard against temptation, against sin, against those things that we discussed last week. So you be careful. That's why he says take heed. It's a very strong choice of words that he is using because we are all vulnerable to sin. We are all people that can be tempted. So that's where we pick up our text now at verse 13, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. As he continues writing, he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able with but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, I've heard this verse is used in various you know, situations and applications, but we've got to keep it in its context, don't we? The Bible says that when a person is tempted, they should not say that he is tempted of God. James writes in chapter 1 of his epistle, Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God is, is not up in heaven operating and, and conducting some heavenly or spiritual sting operation. He's not doing that. He's not in heaven trying to get people to stumble and to fall. He isn't trying to entrap believers, you and I. He isn't trying to mislead us. That's not God's intention. Now, if you are involved in sin, for example, if you're involved in a sinful relationship with someone, God did not send that person into your life so that you can sin with them. And I mention this because I've had people sit up in my office and they've said to me, well, I'm involved in a sin and they'll make an excuse for that sin 
or I'm involved in this relationship, I'm involved with this person that's other than my spouse, but you know what, it feels so right, and I have such a peace about it, and I know that God has brought this person into my life, and it's okay. No, it's not okay. Remember that every person is tempted, and we can be drawn away by our own desires. Temptation begins with desire and is fueled by what the temptation offers, and that is pleasure and satisfaction. You know, one of the neat things about, for any of you who like to fly fish, that when you fly fish and you, you start to really get into the, the art and the science of fly fishing, that what you are doing is, is that you are trying to present that fly to that trout in a way that that trout is tempted to take that fly, right? And it is quite a science when you really get into fly fishing. I mean, you need to be an entomologist, a stream ecologist. You need to be ones that you understand the, the time of year, the, the stream you're in, what it is that they're eating, the hatches, all these different factors come into it. And I don't mean to give you a lesson, you know, or a lecture on, you know, the fundamentals of, of fly fishing. Um, but what you try to do is, is that you try to present that fly in a way. And presenting it in everything is, is so important to, to entice that trout to come and eat that fly. And if it doesn't work, then something's wrong. You've got to try something else. Fly fishermen have a saying, if first you don't succeed, try another fly. So, and that's what you do. And so you're trying to get that trout to eat that fly. You're trying to get him, tempt him to come after that. And you see, Satan will be one that will tempt us to do evil. He's very, very good at it. And he's one that he will try all kinds of different things and methods, and he knows this. It, it's, it's like a science to him that he's an expert. He's been doing it for a long time. So he will try to tempt us, not God. Now, God will test us. He will, won't he? And we talked about that on Wednesday night as we're going into the book of Judges, as the children of Israel were compromising. They didn't drive out the inhabitants of the land. And so God is testing them now to see if they will turn back to him when they find themselves in bondage and in captivity. We know in Genesis chapter 22 that God tested Abraham. Remember that story? Abraham, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the place that I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice for me. God was testing the heart of Abraham. But remember something, and this is very important, that God tests us to bring out the best in us. All right? He tests us to bring out the best in us, to see if we will turn to him and trust him and to reveal our hearts towards him. Satan, he will tempt us to bring out the worst in us, to take us away from God. And the way that Satan will work in your life and in my life is that he will tempt you with any way or anything that he can, and he'll do it with little compromises. Again, we talked about on Wednesday as we made application in chapter 1 of the book of Judges, there was compromise that was taking place. There was an incomplete driving out of the Canaanites. And consequently, because of that, that compromise would lead to their disobedience because they compromised more and they compromised more and they compromised more. So it begins with a little bit of compromise. It seems small. It seems insignificant. No big deal. You know, I can do this thing. It's not hurting anyone what we begin to think. But what happens is it begins to spread. And it begins to, in fact, your whole spiritual life if it continues. 
It's like leaven. Remember we talked about leaven in 1 Corinthians chapter 5? There was sin that was in the church. There was immorality. And Paul brings up this whole picture of leaven. That leaven. Don't you know that leaven leavens the whole lump, the whole dough and batch of bread. It will spread and begin to do its work. And so leaven is a picture of evil. It's a picture of sin. And don't you know that a little bit of leaven in your heart will begin to spread and begin to affect you just as the leaven begins to spread in a loaf of bread and causes that bread to rise. And so he says, purge out the leaven is what you need to do. You need to deal with this right now. So as long as I'm living in this body, I'm going to be subject to certain temptations, the desires of my flesh, the drives of my flesh. It is common to all men is what the apostle is saying to us inspired by the Spirit of God. All men and women is common to but with that temptation, God is faithful to me, and he will not allow me to be tempted beyond my limits, beyond what you and I are able to bear. He will provide a way of escape that you and I will be able to bear it, is what is being said. That's the promise of the Lord given to you and to me this morning. When temptation comes, there is always a way of escape. There's an escape route. That's one of the things that firefighters, I remember when... I was working for the government out of, of college. I was working for the Forest Service and Borough of Land Management. And we'd all have to go through fire training in case there was a bad fire season. And one of the things they always emphasize that when you go to fire, you always, always got to have a way of escape. There has to be an escape route. Well, God always provides a way of escape for us is what we're being told. And if you fall into temptation, it's because you did not heed the voice of God. You did not take the way of escape that he provided for you. You have, I have the word of God given to us. We have the spirit of God that is working through us, empowering us. And we have the still small voice of God speaking to us saying, hey, get out of here. There's a way of escape. And when a person falls into temptation, it is when they say, oh, I think I'll just hang out here a little bit more. I think I'll just play around with this sin a little bit longer. Or makes excuses instead of getting out when the Lord said to get out. God will provide an escape route is what he says here. Now, temptation comes by what way? It comes by way of flesh, fleshly desires. So you don't put yourself in situations where that can happen. And that's why Paul would write in the New Testament, make no provision for the flesh. Because the flesh is weak. The flesh is weak. And we can fall into it if we're staying in that situation where that temptation is there constantly. We need to flee and get out. That's what he's going to say in verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. He would also say what? Flee from useful lust. Get out of there. But don't put yourselves in a situation, none of us should, where there is temptation and there is temptation to where we can give in to that temptation. The second means is by the enemy. The enemy, he comes along. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I can't help but think about what Jesus said to Peter right before Jesus went to the cross. Uh, Peter, Satan's been asking for you. I imagine Peter, when he heard that from the Lord, he was shaking in his boots. You know what, Peter? Satan's been asking for you. He wants to shift you like wheat. In other words, he wants to beat you up. I've been praying for you. And you know what? Satan asked for us. You and I as Christians, and he wants to shift us like wheat. 
But as James says that we are to submit to God, resist the devil, and the promise is that the devil will flee from you. And then thirdly, the world. The world brings the, the pleasures and the deception and all that. All those are the areas in which we can be ones that fall into temptation. We're responsible for our sins. And God has said that now I've given you a promise. That I have given you the word of God. I've given you the spirit of God in your life to empower you so that you don't have to fall in that sin. And we can have an escape route. He is faithful is what the apostle says. Remember that. He is faithful. He is faithful. And a lot of times when people fall into temptation, they want to throw it over on God. And Paul says, listen, that he makes a way of escape and God is faithful. It's not his failure. So therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, many of the Christians that Paul is writing to, again, come out of idol worship, bowing down to images, offering sacrifices to them. But I want to pause, pause for a minute here because as I was looking at this, and I was thinking about this even this morning, this kind of caught my attention. And that was Paul saying to these believers there at Corinth, he says, my beloved. Now, here are a group of Christians that had a lot of problems. Paul has been addressing those problems, hasn't he? They were a carnal church. They were a divided church. There was sin that was in the church. They were a group of Christians that were far from where they should have been spiritually. They even looked down upon Paul in this apostolic ministry, questioning his authority as an apostle. And as some of them had little regard for Paul, he still had love for the saints. And what he is saying to them at this time is written in the kindness of intentions, in the deepest of affections. He is speaking to them out of his love for them. And one of the things that I've noticed going through the Pauline epistles is that Paul did not patronize his readers, the saints, the churches. He would encourage them to consider what it is that he was saying. He would give truth to them out of love. And one of the things for you and I to remember is that if we desire to be effective in ministering to people, whether it's your children or whether it's family members or people at work, other brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, whoever and wherever it might be. Never get to the place where you are just cynical and critical and bitter towards the people that you have opportunity to minister to. And that's one of the things that I know about the apostle. He was never bitter towards those he ministered to. He would get frustrated, and you and I can get frustrated. But here's the thing. He loved the saints, and he cared for them. And he wanted them to do well and to run strong in the Lord. He wanted them to strong, run strong with the Lord. And Paul here says, flee idolatry. He's encouraging them, the believers, to take a stand. It's like he's saying, draw a line in the sand and don't cross over. Temptation acted upon leads to sin and sin will lead to death. Just death in your heart and in your soul and in your spirit. We almost, in our day and in our society, have an uncanny ability to minimize sin and maximize rationalization why we continue in that sin. And much of the Corinthian saints were wondering just how much of the world they could retain and still be a Christian. So Paul says, flee from idolatry. Now remember that idolatry is anything that you are able to enthrone in your heart that takes the place in the priority of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
anything that gets in the way of your relationship with the Lord. And he says, flee from it. Get away from it. In verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. This is wisdom. Paul is pleading with them to take this to heart. Failure to, to heed the warning signs can lead to spiritual disasters, what he's saying. So, as we look at this this morning, I know where temptations and where idolatry and immorality can lead to. We don't want to go there, do we? We don't want to go down that road that is filled with pain and sorrow and bondage and captivity and discouragement and depression. Sin destroys lives. And how we will see that so clearly on Wednesday night is, again, we're in the book of Judges. We are seeing that take place, the captivity, the bondage of the nation of Israel because of their idol worship, refusing to to turn away from those idols, getting involved with the Canaanites and turning away from the Lord. And so we're seeing that even though they were involved in those things, God's hand of, of love and grace and compassion is word still given to them, reaching out to them. Thank you for joining us on Under the Fig Tree. If you would like a copy of today's study, please call us and ask for the message with today's date. Our phone number is 970-330-1717. That number again, 970 970- If you prefer, you can write us at 2602 West 27th Street, Greeley, Colorado, 80634. You can also visit us online at ccgreeley.com. Under the Fig Tree is brought to you by Calvary Chapel of Greeley. We invite you to join with us for our Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. and our Wednesday evening service at 7 p.m. Please join with us next time as we continue to study the Bible together on Under the Fig Tree.